All righty. Well, it's good to be here tonight. Sorry so many people are getting the virus. That's tough. Um, one of the special things we have tonight is a young lady in uh, Rothwell Baptist Church when I first came was just finishing up high school. And uh, she made a commitment to go to the foreign mission field. And after she finished high school, she went to Bruton Parker College. And she had not met a young man yet, but we were praying back at home that she would meet a young man who God was also calling to the foreign field. And so before I ever knew his name, I was praying for Ross Lewis. And Ross and Casey got together while they were at Bruton Parker. And I think God uh, sovereignly orchestrated that because he had a heart for missions. He's uh, finished up college and went to Belarus and spent almost two years in Belarus uh, as a journeyman and came back. He and Casey were married, and uh, they spent some time here in the States. He pastored a church in uh, Savannah for a while, uh, Victory Baptist, down on uh, Montgomery Crossroads for a while, and then went to the International Mission Board. Recently spent a year in Kiev, and uh, in July, went or June, was it the end of June, Ross? Yeah, it was. End of June. He uh, and Casey went to Budapest, Hungary, where his little boy, Isaiah, was born. And now they've gone back to the city where they're going to be working for the future at Nipper Petrovic in the Ukraine. So Ross is up and awake in the Ukraine where it is 2 a.m. And um, this is a unique thing I wanted to point out. I want to talk to you about Adoniram Judson tonight. But when Judson left the United States in 1812, he thought he would never return to the United States. He thought that the only contact he would have with his family would be through letters that were put on board ship and would take upwards at times from four months to get to the destination. So if you think about that, one letter's written, it took four months to get to Burma, where he was uh, a missionary, and then four months to get back. It's eight months before you could answer a question. And we are looking at Ross and what we call real time. Right, Ross? That's right. And it feels real late or real early to you because it is Friday over there, isn't it? What is it? Tuesday. Tuesday. Not, yeah. let, me, let me not to put that... It is, yeah, I'm thinking Wednesday night church. It is Monday night here. It is Tuesday there. I sent some questions to Ross, and let's start out with these. I'll let him introduce himself to Ephesus, and he'll just tell you a little bit about who he is. Go ahead, Ross. Okay. Um, thank you, guys. Let me say, first off, just thank you for having me. Um, I, I wish that Casey and Isaiah could, could be here as well, but um, they're resting right right now. Um, they, they need it. So uh, thank you guys for having us. Um, my name's Ross. I, I grew up in Warner Robins, Georgia, in the middle of the state. Uh, my dad was an Air Force reservist up there, as well as an accountant for the government on base. Um, so I had the blessing of living 18 years in the same home. Um, the house that I came home to the day, I, or I guess a couple days after I was born, was the one that I lived in until I graduated from high school. Um, and then went off to Bruton Park. Um, Casey and I met at Bruton Parker. Uh, the Lord, time and um, just His providence ended up bringing us together. And um, 
we are now serving over Ukraine. Um, but uh, one of the things that, that Devin kind of wanted me to, to mention was how missions w- was part of my life growing up. Um, I was kind of, uh, I guess you've been the poster child for a Southern Baptist. <laughs> um, I was one of those that started out in uh, Mission Friends when I was three or four years old uh, and stayed with that program and uh, participated in Royal Ambassadors um, in, uh, I guess, as a, in grade school and then in junior high and high school as well. Um, I went on my, my first mission trip when I was a sophomore in school. And actually, that's, well, the, the second one that I went on was actually down to the Savannah Center. So I, and that's kind of when I began to, to get familiar with the Savannah area. Uh, WMU has been a huge part of, of my missions, I guess, experience or, or my life in missions. Uh, the ladies at my church paid for the, the first international trip that I went on in high school. And that was when the Lord started to deal with me about the possibility of, of missions. Um, I knew that I was called to ministry, but when I looked at the Word, um, I saw that Paul... Um, church planter and was a, uh, you know, a discipler of men. He was a teacher, preacher. He was an evangelist. Um, and so I kind of knew that, um, that, I guess the fields were just kind of wide open. I mean, uh, the, the harvest was out there and the Lord was confusing me in some way, but I didn't know exactly what. So um, Southern Baptist ministry in particular has been, um, I just played a huge role in um in my life and in my family's life as, as well. Um, so that's just kind of a, a really brief sketch there. Um, and Evan mentioned, and, and, and I mentioned this as well, our shop one last summer in uh, Budapest, Hungary, right outside of Budapest. And uh, he has completely changed the way that we do life and um, industry and missions. And uh, just been the biggest blessing and the best conversation starter that I've ever come across um, in in missions. Uh, again, thank you guys for having me. And uh, um, Devin, I'll hand it back over to you. And you can question. Okay. Like. Uh, one of the questions that I sent to you, Ross, was: uh, What are some of the differences that you're encountering between evangelicalism as you grew up with it here in America and what you're seeing there in the Ukraine? Um, you, you know, in America, the, uh, things are, are more, uh, refined, I think, when we look at evangelicalism, when we look at how people do, um, life with God, how they, how they do ministry, how they do programming, um, at their church. It's just much more raw, um, here in Ukraine, which is, is not to say that it's, a, it's not a bad thing, it's just a different thing. Um, you know, Sunday mornings, um, I would guess at, at Ephesus Church, you guys probably have someone who um, watches the nursery and um, probably someone who teaches the, the children during a Sunday school time or a small time, you know, before or after the service. Um, and, and a lot of the churches here, the kids just run loose during the service. It's, uh, no one's phased when the pastor's child runs up and grabs his leg during the service or... 
um, and a toddler which wanders onto the stage during the supper last day. The people are, are, are willing to go and to uh, go to the church and to sit for a, a very long time. Uh, I would imagine if, if Pastor Nick started preaching at, uh, you know, at 11 and, and you know, 12 o'clock came and then 1 o'clock came and then 1.30 came, there'd probably be people checking their watches and or wondering, you know, what was going on. Um, no, I, think Nick, I think Nick did that Sunday. No. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's just a, it's a different world. Um, if you're a, a deacon in the church here, um, you you'd be a preaching deacon. All the guys here that are in leadership positions are expected to preach. So the pastor may preach once a month, and the deacons handle the rest of that. And um, they're all okay with it. They don't seem to have an issue with it. The pastor doesn't seem to mind sharing, and uh, the deacons seem to enjoy the opportunity to speak. So. Um, just the way that we do church, it's, is much different. Um, a lot of the churches that I've worshiped in have been in, uh, theaters or libraries or rented rooms, um, um, apartments. Uh, it's hard to get land here. It's hard to, to, um, get government approval to build on land here and then to, or to, uh, even to renovate a lot of times. So, um, having a, a set building that we refer to as like the church is, is not always um, a concept. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's just, it's different. Um, okay. But it's, it's neat to see the church at that stage as well before it gets completely refined and before it uh, has program that makes it, you know, flow just, um, just so, uh, they don't mind uh, variations of service. If if a brother from uh, some degree, I kind of imagine it as being similar to how the early church might have been. Um, if a brother from another city came up and said, "You know, I, I, the Lord has really pressed on my heart um, this word that I or this this thing um, during my my daily devotions, and I want to share." Um, the pastor would think twice about putting this random. He's never met before um, up there. Whereas, you know, pastor in America, I cannot imagine how. how I mean, that, was, that terrifies me to, to just stick somebody up um, by the pulpit. Um, but here, it's just, it's coming. Um, it's just it's interesting. There, there are a lot of differences, but okay. I think the largest I was it's just it's a, a very raw form of doing church doing missions. Okay. Um, what, having been over there as long as you have been now, I know you spent almost two years in Belarus and been about a year and a half now in uh, Ukraine. How would you come back to an American church and get, get a congregation involved in worldwide or global missions? Um, I think the first thing is just to realize that it's a possibility. Um, a lot of people, when they think, oh, you know, going to... Um, going to a foreign country or, uh, or, or even praying for a foreign country. I mean, it, it seems like a kind of a foreign concept. Um, but I realize, I mean, going on a mission trip, that's something that a, that a family can do. Um, you know, you can connect up with IMB workers and, and, a, you know, you could take your family as, as opposed to going to Disney World this year. You could 
pack up and, and go to, you know, if you didn't want to come to start out in Europe, you could go to, uh, you know, to, to Latin America or South America and the cost wouldn't be that much different. So just realizing that, that it's a, a possibility. Um, that's the, I really feel like when people go, um, that's when it really, uh, catches them. Um, it's when they, when it's kind of quickens the, the heart and they realize, um, that this is more than just stories in a magazine or, um, parables, you know, in the, in, in the Bible. Um, these are, are real souls. These are people that are, that are dying, not knowing Christ. And, and are living eternity apart from him. Um, it's that's that's the big thing that you can do is just buy a plane ticket and go. Uh, and I know that sounds crazy. It might sound and some of you might be going, "Oh, you're." I used to be able to say, "I'm in my twenties. I'm I'm thirty now." You know, you're you're young and you didn't have any kids. You can do something like that. But I've worked with teams of. Of widows over here, like that came from Georgia. You know, ladies. The youngest one was seventy years old, and they decided they wanted to change the world. So they bought a plane ticket and they came and they changed lives. Widows in this world, you can do it. Right. You just have to be willing. Um, you just have to be willing. Well, we're talking to you face to face, in a sense. I mean, we've got a video picture and that, but how? Um, when you left, you have to deal with separation from family and home church and things like that. How has that impacted you? Well, having having come over as a as a single to Belarus first, and then as um, I, I guess the the lesser half of a of a couple coming over to Ukraine, um, I can tell you it's a whole lot it's a whole lot easier coming with your family. Um, but you still miss the people back home. Um, Judson, you know, when um, and Devin will tell you guys more about this. But when when Judson, when he and his wife left, I mean, they that was it. You know, they they thought. I mean, they would see people again. And uh, and today, you know, um, before we went to bed, Casey was able to check her Facebook messages and <laughs> look and see, you know, Halloween pictures of nieces and nephews and things like that. Um, it's difficult, but we're much more connected than, than we've ever been before. Um, that being said, it's still not America. Um, I, I really, and some missionaries, you know, will say, well, uh, you know, I, my home country is my, my new home is, is my, is my world. This is who we're called to. Well, yeah, this is where we're called to be, but I, I still think America is the greatest country in the world and there are still People that I love very dearly in, in America, and um, it's not easy a lot of times when you uh, when you know you see your family gathered around the the table at Thanksgiving, and you realize I'm not there this year. Or when we think about Isaiah growing up, and um, um, my, my mom's passed away, but my dad still lives in Warner Robins, and he's the only grandchild that my 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 dad has, and yeah. thinking that you know. Isaiah's not going to get to grow up and be with Papa all the time. I mean, that's that's kind of hard for us um, when we consider those types of things. All right. But, uh, how can we that, uh, how can we best pray for you, Ross? Oh, um, 
right now you can for us that uh, that Isaiah would uh, continue to adjust to having to stay with a a sitter while we study Russian um, for three or four hours every day. Um, you can pray for us. We would be able to find a pediatrician. Um, he still doesn't have a pediatrician here that uh, we focus with him going to. So we're still looking for okay. um, a doc, Lord Saints, okay. um, or opens our eyes to. And uh, and for the ministry here, you can just pray that uh, that God would give us wisdom and discernment and a clarity of heart and. Uh, in spirit when we're working with people because we really want to see churches planted in our city of a million. Um, there's only been one, uh, well, one and a, I guess I say one and a half Baptist churches that have been uh, planted here since the fall of the Soviet Union. And in a city of a million, it's, it's really inexcusable. We've, <laughs> we've yeah. got to get on it. So, uh, okay. Just pray for the softening of. Let's pray for you right now, Ross, and then we'll let you go on to bed because I know it's a long day for you. Let's pray together. Father God, we pray for Ross and for Casey and Isaiah right now. Uh, we do pray that uh, Isaiah will adjust. He's uh, with his mother and father, but uh, some things have changed very greatly for him. It's, it's hard for many of us to imagine for a three-month-old to already be living in a, a second city, a second nation, and um, we're going to pray that he'll adjust to staying with uh, a sitter, a stranger to him, uh, while his mother and father uh, continue to work hard at learning a language, uh, not just to communicate, but to, to live and to minister to those people that are around him. And, uh, Father, we're going to pray for the ministry. Uh, as Ross has said, it's a, it's a very large mission field. And um, if you go all the way back to 1990, that's 22 years. And there's uh, one and a half Baptist churches. I'm not sure how we would count a half church, but uh, Father, we are going to pray that you would bless them, open up doors and opportunities, and give them those divine appointments to reach out and touch lives with the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ. And we're going to pray all that in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're awesome. I love you, and uh, it's good to see you. You too, Devin. Hey, let me explain the half thing really quickly. <laughs> I know, it's a church plant, I understand. It's a, yeah, it's a church plant that's meeting once a month for service yes. with a pastor from another town, so yeah. it's, it's getting going. Yes, I understand. It started out as a Bible study. Okay. Take, right. take care, Devin. We'll talk to you later. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, 2, 2.30 a.m. in the Ukraine. Uh, Ross has been... Um, just a dedicated man. He was in Belarus when the nation was closed. The current leader of Belarus is probably um, one of, of the two most powerful dictatorships that remain in the world. And uh, he is very opposed to Christianity. And so most missionaries of any denomination were put out of the nation and Ross came home and spent some time here. And then, like I say, he and Casey have gone back. And they were in Kiev, uh, basically doing language training, but also just urban training and getting kind of saturated into the culture. Dnipropetrovic is a large industrial city, still very much um, 
kind of Russian culture, we would recognize it. But um, I, I really wanted to connect with Ross for uh, several reasons with you. But one is this immediacy that we have to communicate around the world with missionaries. Uh, makes it personable. But it also helps you understand that when the first modern missionaries went around the world, time and distance was just staggering to our way of thinking. Uh, As he said, Casey went to bed. Before she did, she checked Facebook, sees pictures of her sister, mother, her dad, her nephews, um, everything else anybody else has posted, cousins, aunts, and uncles, you know, every day. Um, the father of modern missions is William Carey. He was a particular Baptist in England. And while God was working in Baptist in England, God was working also amongst Baptist and Christians in the United States about taking the gospel to the pagan nations. When William Carey first stood up in 1792 and brought a motion before uh, a Baptist association in um, Kettering, England, an older pastor told him to shut up and sit down, basically, that if God wanted the pagan to be saved, he could do it without any assistance from William Carey or even from myself. And that was kind of an approach that was taken as far as missions were concerned. I'll take it back. That wasn't at Kettering because it was then a short time later at Kettering where you may be familiar with the name Andrew Fuller who became a very good friend of William Carey's. William Carey preached this passage And he spoke to them about creating a Baptist missionary society. From Isaiah 54, verse 2 and 3, he says, Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand to the right and to the left and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. God had used that particular passage to speak to William Carey about taking the gospel to the heathen nations, as they called them, or pagan lands around the world. Now, you probably are saying, I thought you were going to speak about Adoniram Judson. I am. But you have to realize that one of the major influences upon Adoniram Judson was William Carey. And as slow as communication was in those days, word reached the new American nation that England Baptists were sending missionaries, particularly to India. Uh, Carey was going to go with the East India Company, which was the trading company of Britain that was exploring these eastern lands. But you have to understand, they were not a missionary society. They were a business They were a shipping and trading company, and they were not friendly to missionaries because they figured a missionary would go into the foreign land where they had people under their control and influence and put wild ideas in their minds that they might be free and things of that nature. So even though he boarded a ship in 1793, the East India 
company had him put off of that ship. And at first he was going to leave without his wife who was expecting a child. And in a year delay, she decided to go with them. And a Danish ship took them to India. And he ended up for a while as a bivocational missionary. In order to support his family, he worked in an indigo plant. And they ended up in Sarampore, India, which was a Danish settlement. Meanwhile... If you want to know if God is sovereignly doing something, you will see similar events happening in different places simultaneously. The first great awakening followed that pattern. Even though Jonathan Edwards was preaching there in Northampton, Massachusetts, there were other places where the Spirit of God was moving in the American colonies at that time. And there was an awakening spiritually taking place. There were a lot of things happening, but primarily what was happening was the preaching of God's word to God's people and the spirit of God was moving them. What first happened was churches were uh, confessing their sins, repenting of those sins and becoming more serious about their obedient walk with the Lord. Now, you're moving ahead The First Great Awakening had a lot to do with that independent spirit being sown in the hearts of the American colonists. Now, you know one way that worked out, don't you? We signed what we called a Declaration of Independence. But along with that was this work of God and this obedience of his people of following his leadership. Particularly in Massachusetts... There were young men who were studying God's Word, praying through God's Word. Adoniram Judson and four other young men were some of those. There were others. But God was speaking to them about missions as well. So Judson uh, was born in 1788. You know what else happened in 1788? Well, we had written a Declaration of Independence. You all know the date of that, don't you? 1776. The Revolutionary War fighting took place. General Cornwallis, what do you want to say it? Surrendered in 1781. That's five years, but fighting continued for another two. And the Paris Treaty wasn't signed until 1783. The U.S. Constitution took another five years to hammer out wasn't until 1788 that the U.S. Constitution was formed. If you look at the first states in the United States, those 13 colonies, you'll see the year 1788. That's when Adoniram Judson was born. So there was a strong spirit of independence. There was a strong spirit of God's leadership in the formation of the nation. But a young man like Adoniram Judson was born into a pastor's home. His father was, as most of Massachusetts was at that time, congregational, congregational Christian churches. They still exist in Massachusetts. If you hear someone talk about a 4C church, they are conservative congregational Christian churches. But the majority of congregational churches over the past couple of centuries went extremely liberal. The Congregationalists started 
a university in Boston, Massachusetts, to educate their clergy. In fact, there are still engraved signs at the entrances to that university that says that it felt best of them in 15, no, 1635 to form a university so that they would not have an illiterate clergy. Do you know what university that was? Harvard. Harvard became a place then where Unitarianism started. I've been there just outside of Harvard Square is that Unitarian church just across the street. And they became Unitarian Universalists. They denied the gospel and the deity of Jesus Christ. So Yale University was started to educate young men. And that's where young Adoniram Judson ended up. I'm going to try to condense what I have to say about him. He was a brilliant child. A lot of things were taking on in his mind. But at Yale, he was uh, admitted as a 16-year-old. He was so proficient in languages and Greek and Hebrew that he was admitted as a sophomore. And in three years, he graduated as a valedictorian. He made some big friends while he was there, some influential people, senators, governors, congressional people, secretary of war. But Judson stood out above them all as far as being a brilliant young man. There were two men who became his closest friends. One was named John Bailey and one was named Jacob Ames. Now, Judson, in his brilliance, began to doubt his father's faith. He hadn't really arrived at a point of personal conviction. He kind of went his own way, informed his father he didn't believe in the God that his father believed and took off, went up up across uh, New York State to his uncle Ephraim's home, got on board the newly invented and sailing steamship the Claremont, went down to New York City, was going to be a playwright and an actor. Because he was unknown, no one accepted him, so he got into a traveling group of of artists and Soon all of his dreams of making a name for himself as a playwright and an actor were smashed. He got back on board his horse and rode back up towards uh, his uncle's, Ephraim's home to Albany, New York. And he was going to go. He did not know where. Got on board the horse. I guess you'd say saddled up, headed east which was back towards Massachusetts and Braintree and Plymouth, Massachusetts, where his father was, and stayed overnight in a small inn. There was only one room available to him, and the uh, innkeeper said he was sorry, but there was a young man in the next room over who was very ill, and they were afraid that he might die that night. When Adam Niren Judson got in his room, he's struggling with his faith, he's struggling with... uh, dreams that have been smashed and he hears all of the commotion in the next door room as this young man is struggling. When he woke up in the morning, went downstairs and asked for the bill, he asked rather casually about the young man that was in the room. The innkeeper said, he's dead. Dead? He was shocked. It was a heavy heavy finality and word to him. He just struck him hard. He said a few things, probably conventional things we say when someone has died. But then he asked, did you know who he was? Oh, yes. He was a young man from uh, 
Providence, Rhode Island. His name was Jacob Ames, one of Adoniram's two closest friends who had influenced him in the deism. Judson said he got on his horse and started east. Can't remember much that took place that day. But by the time he made his way back home to his father's, his father's God was no longer an impersonal, omnipotent, omniscient God that his father preached was now personal. And it wasn't long that he found himself in a new seminary in Massachusetts called Andover. And there he met up with some young men who had been praying about God's leadership in their lives as far as missions to the pagan nations were concerned. Judson, who had excelled most of his life, continued to excel. And in seminary, he captured most people's attention by his abilities to learn, to understand, to apply that to life, just to know what God was going to do. He heard a sermon called The Star in the East, and it was preached by a chaplain who happened to be attached to the East India Company. And Judson also read about William Carey. Began to think about becoming America's first foreign missionary. That was a radical idea. He heard an account of the British officer who had gone to Burma, and there he had visited the emperor. The emperor was known in Burma as one who had no equal. No one entered the emperor's presence unless they were invited. And when they were invited, they were required to kneel at what they considered the emperor's golden feet and that the king or the emperor heard them only through his golden ears. And Judson fixed his attention on that said he would go to Burma and he was going to go to that golden shore to preach the gospel. Well, by June of 1810, Judson and these other young men were pushing the point and they went to the leadership of the Congregational Church, to the General Association of the Commonwealth of the Congregational Churches, And they were going to ask that they would create an American board of commissioners for foreign missions. As the church met in their commonwealth meeting, Judson stepped to the front and he read the resolution from the young men. As he read the resolution, it stated that they wanted them to form this commissioners of foreign missions, basically. It was so shocking that there was an audible gasp heard throughout the church. People were astounded. We can't imagine that today, can we? We've just talked to someone in Dnipropetrovic, Ukraine, in what we call real time. In 1810, real time was about as far as you could walk in one day or ride a horse. That was real time. Most people hadn't gone outside of their county, 15 to 25 miles from their homes. 
when John Adams went to Philadelphia in 1764 to be a part of that first Continental Congress. It's the first he had traveled outside of that region of Braintree, Massachusetts. So people didn't go far. To think about going around the world to preach the gospel to pagan peoples was just an astounding idea. Well, these men, by 1812, decided to take these young men's advice. Financial support was given, and young missionaries were appointed to leave America. Now, did you catch the year? 1812. What's happening by 1812? We're at war again with Great Britain. Now, if you're familiar with the geography, Massachusetts, uh, Boston sits right there in the bay. To the south of it was Plymouth and Braintree, where Judson's family lived at that time. A little bit to the north of it was what was at that point in time the busiest and the wealthiest port in America, Salem. Massachusetts. And it was in the city of Salem at the Tabernacle Church in February of 1812 that five young men were ordained to the foreign mission field. Uh, on the handout you have, you have a, that was a wood engraving that they printed. And you can see the five men seated there. The little lady kneeling at the end of the row, they believe, was probably Judson's wife, Anne Hasseltine, who was um, also like to be called Nancy. Are, do we have that uh, video to play? Of, oh, you don't? Ah, there's a video of uh, Tom Nettles, uh, who's a Baptist historian at Southern Seminary. He reads Adoniram Judson's letter to her parents when he proposes. They were married the day before they were ordained to the foreign mission field. Another one of the... Uh, uh, Young men, Samuel Newell, was married the day after they were ordained. That was February 6th of um, 1812. They sailed in February 19th of 1812. Uh, Adoniram Judson and his wife, Anne, or Nancy, and Samuel Newell and his wife, Harriet, sailed out of Salem, Massachusetts. So Salem, Massachusetts is where the first foreign missionaries from the United States were ordained. It's where those were shipped out. The other three, one was married... Uh, Samuel Knott, and then Luther Rice, you probably ought to remember that name, and um, Gordon Hall sailed out of Philadelphia. They felt it best to separate them because of the British blockades on the ports, and they were afraid that the missionaries wouldn't get too far. Now, they entered into a life of hardship. In fact, Judson's proposal to her parents was, if you can... Bear to depart with your daughter, never to see her again, perhaps never to hear from her, to go to a foreign land to preach the gospel to a heathen land, nation, uh, perhaps for her to die a violent death. But knowing that you will see her again in heaven, in a glory like she's never had before, if you can bear to do that, and I propose that we become married, basically what he was saying. He had this vision, a strong vision of this sovereign God who when you serve him, blesses you. And if her parents could bear to let their daughter go, they would one day see her 
in a far greater glory than they had ever seen before. Now, I don't have time to go into all the hardships. If you want to read one of the better uh, biographies on any missionaries, uh, this is called To the Golden Shore. That's where the name came from. Judson also wrote a hymn called To the Golden Shore. You'll find that at the back of the book. But this is one of the better missionary biographies, actually one of the better biographies I've ever read. Um, Courtney Anderson, who is a man, did a great job with this. Judson sailed to India. And if you remember, I told you he was a Congregationalist. On board ship, he began to study the Scriptures because as a Congregationalist, he believed in baptism of infants. And he knew when he met William Carey, who was a Baptist in India, he would have to defend his position. So he and others studied very diligently the Scriptures on baptism. When they landed in India and met William Carey, the result was that Luther Rice and, and uh, Adoniram Judson presented themselves to William Carey to be baptized by immersion. <laughs> Only scriptural. Now they had a problem because Judson is a man of integrity and he has been appointed by the commissioners of the Commonwealth of the Congregational Church he immediately writes a letter telling them that he can no longer receive any monies from them because he doesn't agree with them, particularly with baptism. The decision is made that Luther Rice return to America and begin to work with the Baptist in order to form a foreign mission society so that they could support Judsons in Burma, which is where they were headed. And that's why Luther Rice returns to America and pretty much goes to Providence, Rhode Island, where um, Williams, uh, um, Roger Williams had formed the uh, colony of Rhode Island as a Baptist because they wouldn't keep, let him stay in Massachusetts. And they formed the first Baptist Missionary Society because Judson has converted and he needs to be appointed as a Baptist missionary. And that's the beginning of Baptist missions in America. Um, when they go to Burma, it takes him a long time, just like Casey and Ross study the language, learn how to uh, relate to the people, and he actually gets to have an, an encounter with the emperor. doesn't go well at first. The emperor hears what he has to say. Judson does his best to share the gospel. But he also has to follow much of the cultural standards for anyone that was going to speak to the emperor. How many of you have ever seen, remember, the music? It was a musical, a movie. Uh, I think Yule Brenner was in it at first, uh, The King and I. There you go. Now, you remember, one of the things in The King and I was everybody's head had to be lower than his. And he would purposely do everything he could to get low or even lay down on the ground so she would have to be lower than him. That's exactly some of the things that Judson would have encountered. Same That was in Siam, which is uh, kind of general location of Burma. Um, also, what happens is you got the East India 
trading company and the British military, and they want to go in and begin trading with the Burmese, and that always ended up in some types of conflicts, and there became the, 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 the Britain and the Burmese War. And Judson ends up getting arrested and spent about six years in a death prison and his wife, Anne, has a baby by that time. They've already lost one or two. And she begins to visit him and care for him in this death prison, which he survives. Uh, it was a horrid, horrid time. But when the war broke out between Burma and England, the emperor of Burma considered all white people spies and enemies. And that's why he was thrown into the death prison you can imagine why they called it a death prison. You didn't get out for most people, but he did. Um, there's so much that goes on in Judson's life. It's, uh, it's hard to take it all in. Um, his wife, Anne, or Nancy, as she likes to be called, becomes ill. She actually comes back to the United States in 1822 for health reasons. One of the things that they did in those days was um, they would put somebody on board ship and send them out to sea for the fresh air for physical reasons. So if you were sick and had some type of a disease, a lot of times um, TB and things like that, they put you on board a ship and out you went. And uh, you probably say, wow, that'd make me worse. It did. A lot of people, a lot of burials at sea. She came back to America in Rhode Island. She met up with uh, a man in Rhode Island at uh, the university there, Baptist University, named Wayland. And he was one of the first historians for Baptist in America. And she wrote out their encounters so far from 1812 until 1822. She returned back to Burma after about a year and a half. And she died there and... Uh, Judson was away at the time. It, it just impacted him tremendously. Um, if you've kept up with Burma, which is now called Myanmar, how many of you heard of the Karen people? You heard about the Karen people? They existed back then. Shortly after the Judsons arrived in Burma, another couple, George and Sarah Boardman, came to Burma, and they were working with the Karen people. Um, after a few years, George became ill, as so many people did in that foreign land, and he died. And what ended up happening was Judson and Sarah Boardman married, and they had some children. So many died over there, it's hard to keep up with them all. Judson buried his wife and so many children. Uh, it'd be hard to embrace the heartache that he experienced. Uh, Sarah became ill. And they put her on board ship to send her back to America. But she died on the way. So months pass, you know. She goes. He thinks she's going to get better. He gets a letter back. She's dead. And in 1845, now, if he left in 1812, what are we looking at? 33 years later, Judson is going to return to America. He has children. He is sent back to America, unaccompanied on board ship to go from Burma to Massachusetts to stay with family. He hasn't seen them in years. He has some of Sarah Boardman's children. And he goes and he comes back to the Americas. 
He's sailing into Boston Port in 1845. He thinks that he has been forgotten. Nobody will remember Adoniram Judson. And actually, he's probably okay with that. He didn't like any attention. He's on board of a ship called the Sophia Walker. To Adoniram, as the Sophia Walker dropped anchor in Boston Harbor, it seemed as if they had all gone. He's talking about all the missionaries that were appointed with him. All his early associates. Only he is left with his three motherless children who had never seen their homeland. And his only boyhood family is his sister, Abigail, who lives in Plymouth. He felt like another Rip Van Winkle. Nothing was familiar. Everything was strange. He expected to make arrangements for the children and settle down in quiet obscurity, perhaps with his sister, and it should be a time then to return. He expected no attention. Who knew him anymore except those with whom he had corresponded on the Baptist Baptist missionary board? He expected to be ignored, and he welcomed the thought. He could have not been more mistaken. Before going on shore, he had been worried about where to look for a place to spend the night. This new, bustling, unfamiliar Boston intimidated him. But as he stepped off the ship, he found crowds of people waiting to receive him. The Boston traveler reported his arrival. A hundred houses were at once thrown open to him, and a hundred families competed for the honor to receive him. You go on, it says, Adam Niren had been the subject of thousands of sermons, the theme of a hundred thousands of prayers. Thousands had been naming their children after him. The country was full of men and women who had been hearing all their lives about the great missionary Adam Niren Judson, the saint of Burma. But although the Judson legend had been growing for 33 years, few now living had ever seen the man themselves. This was their chance. Scarcely any celebrity, any public figure, any hero could hope to rival the interest aroused by the visit of Adoniram Judson to the United States. Who's your heroes? I prayed for a young man named Ross before I knew his name, that God would put a young man with a young lady that I had pastored as a junior in high school who gave her heart to the Lord and who experienced God's call to the mission field. But she knew she would need to be coupled up with a godly man who was also called of God to the mission field. When she came back home one weekend from Bruton Parker, she brought Ross with him. She had to introduce me to him and I knew at that point they would be going somewhere God had been working in Ross's life remember what I said to see if God is actually doing something you'll see similar things happening 
in what we think are independent lives and independent areas, but God is going to connect. There probably were people in Warner Robins praying for Ross Lewis that he would meet a young lady who would be willing to go to the foreign mission field because they knew he was called and they knew he'd have to meet a young lady who would be willing to go. Otherwise, it wouldn't work. And so he puts them together. So here I am, this old pastor, with this young 20-year-old and praying that God would bring her together with another young man. And now that's where they are. They're my heroes. They've left behind a lot. But they have to have this vision of the glory of God and the sovereignty of God and they have to know that whatever you sacrifice or give up here on earth will one day be multiplied a million times over by what God will give you in the future. I pray they don't have to suffer like Adoniram and Ann Judson suffered. Obviously, we've made great advances in medicine but yet she carried a child all through those months in Kiev to get on board a plane and fly from Kiev to Budapest, Hungary to have that baby because one of the big problems in Kiev was communication with a pediatrician. There were some real challenges with that. And they had to trust themselves not to pediatricians and OBGYNs who couldn't communicate with them in English but into God's hands that he would provide for them. And he did. So now they have little Isaiah. And there they are in Nippert Petrovic working with one and a half Baptist churches <laughs> in a city well over a million. Um, it's not that much different from what Adoniram Judson and Ann Judson had to do when they got to Rangoon, Burma in 1814. It took him two years after he left America to get to Rangoon. It took him another seven before they saw their first convert to Christianity. It took William Carey almost seven years before he saw his first convert in India. They worked on language. They worked on translation. They worked on learning the people. They knew they were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they stuck to the truth of the word. When Judson came back to the United States in 1845, he was here for a short while, returned to Burma, and he became sick very shortly after being there. And as I told you, they often did. They put him on board a ship, put him off to sea, hoping that he would get better, but he passed away. Where he was born, just outside of uh, Boston, Massachusetts, in Malden, M-A-L-D-E-N, there's a small marker. It says, Malden, his birthplace, his sepulcher, the sea. But he heard God call him to the mission field, and he was obedient. When no one else had ever gone, he was obedient to go. And you have to answer the question, why? Because if you can answer the question why he was obedient to God's calling on his life, then you can answer the question why you should be obedient to God's calling on your life. It may not be to go to a foreign nation, but it might be to go to that neighbor across the street or the person next door who you know has been really struggling with some major issues. 
and share with them the one thing they absolutely need, not just a friend and a neighbor, but the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it's the same gospel that Kerry shared in India, that Judson shared in Burma, that we share right next door. It's eternal, isn't it? The truth of God in Jesus Christ. And that's what we proclaim. When you get away from that, you're just a social worker. But when you're proclaiming the gospel, then you can be a sovereign instrument in God's hands. Judson did it. We can do it. God wants us involved, not just on a Skype connection to Nipper-Betrovic, but perhaps, like you said, did you hear what Ross said? One of the first groups to come and be with them were widows from Warner Robins, the youngest 70. (laughs) What can we do? He goes, oh, there's all kinds of things. And away they went. Yeah. So we can do it. We just got to answer that question. Why was Judson obedient? Why should we be obedient? Because the same sovereign God that called Judson calls us. The same mission field still exists. Piper says missions exist because worship doesn't. There's people that aren't worshiping Jesus Christ. And that's why we go as missionaries to tell them about Christ. Father, we thank you for a time to kind of jump into the life of a man that lived 200 years ago. It's hard for us to imagine what the culture was like then. Cell phones, there weren't even telephones. There wasn't even electricity that was that widespread in the cities. Travel was by sailing vessel. Communication was slow. Yet the gospel was the same. And that you, Father, you're still seated on the throne. And as you are sovereign today, you were sovereign in 1812. You were sovereign in 1620. You're sovereign eternally before this earth ever was and this creation ever existed. Our belief is you were. As the Bible says, Jesus Christ is the one who is, who was, and is to come. And we trust in you. Lord, speak to our hearts and move us and work through us to the praise of your glory. And we ask it in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.